0: You're listening to an audio message from The Well. A gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.
1: Psalm 26. Also, if you look around, um, we're going to be starting to do a bulletin, and this is the first stab forward. Got a little outline of the message. Some uh, Some of them are poked in the envelope holders right in front of you. And if you don't have one, if you're on the front row, there's extras around or you can just reach around and it really help following along. Um, Bryce, it's not that I don't like what you do, but I'm used to paper. <laughs> so uh, we'll see what happens as we, as we modify and streamline moving forward. But today we have a piece of paper and who can see what the one word title of the message is? Freedom, freedom. freedom. Uh, goes right along with uh, what Patrick was saying in our SYNC meeting, um, control, control. If you think about it, the word freedom and the word control have something in common. Uh, we want the freedom, we want the ability to run things our way. And uh, God does give us freedom, and uh, there is an element where freedom is, uh, is great and where even control is fine as long as it's put in a proper list, in the proper priority. We're gonna be talking about freedom. And uh, three words, if we can remember three theological terms. You ready for some long theological terms, three of them? I got head nods, I got I love them, here we go. Number one is justification. Can we all say justification? <laughs> Awesome. So I had uh, like over 40 hours of teacher training. I'm going to start teaching fifth grade on Thursday, so I'm in full-blown teacher mode. Yes, that, those claps are prayers. I hear prayer. Those, every clap is, oh, God, have mercy on Donnie. <laughs> so thank you, class. Justification number two is, what does it say on there? Sanctification. 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 And then third is uh, probably my favorite theological term, but I couldn't find it in the dictionary. What is it? Joy, joy. Joyification. I had liberation, and it just sounded weird. Uh, but joyification. So we have justification, sanctification, and joyification. Psalm 26. Um, wondering if I could pick on someone. I'd like to read through Psalm 26 twice. It's only 12 verses. And um, it has a good, loud voice. Patrick, can you read? Do you have that in front of you? Yeah. Um, could you read? Psalm 26, as he's pulling it up, the reason I like to read Psalms more than once is uh, Psalms are poems and they're lyrics to songs. And by definition, there's a lot of meaning placed on each term. It's not casual conversation, it's strategic, lyrical poetry. It's kind of like eating an entire batch of fudge. It seems good, it seems like a good idea until you try it right, and just like, oh, uh, that was thick, and the Psalms, every single one is a thick term with tons of meaning, and um, so I like to read them over and over, I get lost, I'm a teacher, but uh, I, I'm not a natural bookworm type person, I don't like to spend a, a cloudy day around the fireplace reading a novel, that, that, that means, that equals nap, that's what that is, I like, yeah, I like painting a barn and listening to an audiobook. so I, I don't usually fall off the ladder listening to an audiobook, staying active. So uh, let's read this twice together and just really uh, let these terms soak in your thoughts.
0: Uh, vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me my heart and my mind for your steadfast love is before my eyes and I walk in your faithfulness I do not sit with men of falsehood nor do I consort with hypocrites I hate the assembly of evildoers and I will not sit with the wicked I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar O Lord proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds O Lord I love the habitation of your house, and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep your, my, swole, my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are evil devices, and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me, be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground in the great assembly. I will bless the
1: Lord. Amen. Thank you. So you kneel in prayer. It's quiet. You're ready to talk to God, and this is what comes out of your mouth. Vindicate me, O Lord. I have walked in my integrity. I have trusted in you without wavering. Well, that does that prayer doesn't come naturally to me when I when I Uh, get ready to pray God I've been knocking it out of the park so vindicate me set me free from accusation justify my actions I am clean so God declare it that's a hard prayer to pray let's think about these these words that we've we've just heard let's read through this again vindicate me who Oh Lord For I have walked in my integrity. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. Why? For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I don't sit with the men of falsehood nor do I consort with the hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers and I do not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence. I go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me, redeem me, redeem me and be gracious, gracious, gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground in the great assembly. I will bless the Lord. You have the right to pray that prayer. That may make you cringe. That may make you think, I don't think I've got the, uh, the courage to do that kind of a prayer. What's our three words today? Justification, sanctification, and joyification. And our question's this. You see on the paper there, it says freedom, exclamation point, Psalm 26. And here's this question how to have joy in any regime yeah, that's a weird word any regime and any relationship how to have joy in any governmental system called a regime in any relationship basically for how you relate to yourself how do you relate to those close to you whether it's a friend a wife a husband a child how to have joy in any regime at least the opportunity for joy it's a fight no matter what even if you know the answer even if you know the three steps even if you know theological words it's a fight but it's possible that that we can have joy in any regime and in any relationship how i believe that psalm 26 tells us how. justification who are you? One of the most important questions you can ask. One of the most influential questions you can ask. Karen, I think about uh, the, the privilege, privilege of standing in front of 20 to 30 young people who are maturing, who are developing, and have heard misstatements about who they are maybe all, all their life you're an idiot, you're a loser. Maybe they've heard, you're special and you're precious, Uh, just let the goodness come out of you. Uh, If that was true, teaching would be a breeze. (laughs) Teaching will make you into a Calvinist. (laughs) Teaching will make you understand that God is sovereign and humanity is broken. But The original design of creation is that God created humanity as the pinnacle of his creation. And every human being, born again or not, reflects the very image of God. And you see it. You see it in their creativity. You see it in their hopes. You see it in their dreams. You see it as you raise your own children that that there is something special and unique about humanity because God has made it that way. We're in the image of God. Verse 9 says this. David prays, Do not sweep my soul away with sinners. A trick question. Are you a sinner? Yep. Sort of. You know, almost every single epistle in the New Testament starts out with Paul saying, Greetings to the saints which are in Ephesus. Anybody in here a saint? Come on. Is anybody in here a saint? Dave, I'm waiting. Is anybody in here a saint? Come on. Whatever, we're reading the Bible this morning. (laughs) The church members at Ephesus, a regular town, beside this big body of water called the Mediterranean Sea, and this preacher wrote a letter and said, to the saints which are at Ephesus, to the sanctified ones, to those who are set apart for a holy use. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are Saint Dave. If you want to wear a special red hat and a robe, who cares? You're a saint, brother. As God looks at you, he says, you have been called to a special purpose. You have been sanctified. Sadly, we know we still sin. I think probably uh, the more strategic way of saying it is that believers in Jesus Christ are saints who sin saints who sin i've already sinned this morning we can sin by things we do and we can sin by not doing things we're supposed to do we're like in the deep end of the pool that nature is still in us but it's not who you are we just sang the song i am who you say that i am and god looks at you and says you're a saint You're my child. I'm pleased with you. I'm for you. I love you. I redeemed you. I pour my grace upon you. You are who I say that you are. And God is good. And he hates brokenness so much that he sent his son out of his love to redeem the world and pour his grace upon your soul so that he can say, as crazy as it sounds, brother, You're a saint. You are who I say you are. How does that happen? See, David says, I'm not like a sinner. He says, don't sweep my soul away with sinners. He's contrasting who he is with who they are. And he said, they're sinners. By default, I'm not. Now, if you think that David thinks he doesn't sin, just read Psalm 25. I mean, earlier in the Psalms, he says, I'm a worm and not a man. He doesn't think he doesn't sin. He knows he sins. Obviously, we are what we do at, at one level. And so, yes, we're all sinners because that's, that's what we do. But our core identity is sanctified and holy and set apart. The Bible calls that justification. What is your identity? In parentheses, who are you? See in verse 3, David doesn't plea for God's justice. Let's read verse 3. He said, and to prove me, try me, test me. Why? For your steadfast love. He doesn't, can you imagine going to God and say, hey, try me out, God? Just see how good I am. Prove me. Prove it. It's football season. Head to head. We're gonna see which is the stronger side of the line. We're gonna try it, we're gonna test it, and we're gonna prove it. And if it goes this way, we know who's the good guy, who's the strong guy, who's the winner. If it goes the other way, we know it's the other way. And David is saying, just give me a chance. Down, set, hut one, hut two, let's, let's go. Prove, I'll, I'll show you, God, who I really am. So what it says, prove me O lord and try me test my heart and mind for your what for your justice is that what it says patrick no for your steadfast love he calls upon the steadfast love of god and if you want to have the boldness to try to pray this kind of prayer To pull yourself out of depression and pull yourself out of discouragement and say, I am who God says that I am. Therefore, I say, God, your spirit and your life is within me. I will move forward. Prove me God. Based upon a God that sees down the, the very thoughts and intents of my heart. Oh, please, no. Based upon the steadfast love of God. For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. The clincher of how this psalm fits together is all the way down in verse 11. He says, as for me, I walk in my integrity, and then he uses these words. He doesn't say pay me. He doesn't say give me what I earned. He says redeem me. Right there is the definition of redemption. Andrew, can you look at that and read the definition of redemption underneath number one redemption, colon, Christ saving, etc.? On the paper? Mm hmm. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, redemption, is Christ saving, work viewed as an act of buying back sinners out of their bondage to sin and to save them through the payment of. Thank you. Redemption. He just said God's saving work viewed as an act of buying back what, Dave? Sinners. Buying back sinners out of their bondage to sin and to Satan through the payment of a ransom. So David is saying, God, look what I've been doing. Look how strong I've been acting. Look at the path that I've been walking. Therefore, redeem me. Therefore, buy me back because I'm a sinner in bondage to sin and Satan through the payment of a ransom. And we know that that ransom was the perfect blood of Jesus Christ. There had to be a God man nailed to a tree and God's wrath had to be poured out upon David and the rest of us. And he appeals to redemption. And he says, grace, God's goodness to those who only deserve punishment. David's saying, um, I've walked in my integrity. I've trusted without wavering. I need mercy. That word there, uh, redemption in the ESV, uh, if you look it up, it also has the, the idea of mercy. I have mercy. You ever been picked up for speeding? Yeah, I've been picked up for speeding. Yeah. Um. Long story short, um, I was on a a college skiing trip. I grew up a poor preacher's kid, so we went to Wyoming to go skiing, (laughs) and I was pinching every penny. We had like six college guys in one Motel 6 room, and uh, it was, I mean, we're carrying our own trail mix and sleeping bags, Uh, about all I could afford was the lift ticket, and I never skied before, and uh, they said, drive us, we're gonna save our money so we can go to Wendy's. That was back when Wendy's was clean. And <laughs> we, we were going to Wendy's and I was going like 47 in a 25 mile an hour zone. $92, Cheyenne, Wyoming. I didn't have it. We didn't have it. I had to call Karma to get my PIN number so that I could get cash out of the, uh, what do you call those things, cash machine, ATM? ATM. And uh, so I get enough money to pay my ticket. Now, when the guy comes up, when the police officer comes up and says, uh, you owe $92, and he says, but uh, we're going to let it slide. You don't have to pay a thing. Let's not let it happen again. What is that? Is that mercy or grace? That's mercy. That's mercy. I don't get what I should have gotten. What if he said, and by the way, you seem like a poor college kid. I bet you're in town skiing. Here's a $100 bill. That's grace. (laughs) Grace is getting what we don't deserve. We deserve to pay the bill. And the currency is holy blood. Our blood's not good enough, our blood is tainted. But there's one that came with perfect holy blood, and not only did he have mercy upon us, he also gave us his grace. And when he came up in front of this judgment seat, this courtroom, or this, you know, you know how you are. I, I'm always like shaken, when the police officer is 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 right there, and I'm like, uh, yeah, where's my proof of insurance? Eh. And uh, if he says no charge, here's a hundred dollar bill. You're like, that's not right. He says, I made it right. That's out of my own pocket. That's not from the state of Nebraska. That's from me. Well, that's a personal thing, isn't it? We have a personal redeemer who redeems, and he has mercy, and he has grace that he pours out upon us, and that is the basis of David's courage. He knows who he is. He knows he's not, at the core, a sinner. And the only way that we can have our very identity changed is to say, Lord, I confess I'm the problem, you're the solution, I turn in repentance, and now I'm going to praise you and worship you. And he said, that is earth-shattering. That is heart-transforming. That is life-giving. At that moment, the word justification is a... Is a court word. It's a legal word. Uh, It's like being acquitted. And the judge looks at you, and he lifts up the gavel, and he goes, boom, you're free to go. No few days in the county jail, no fine. You are justified. Inside, nope, nope. Guilty, guilty, guilty. Before the law, free to go. Crazy. That's justification. That's who you are. On your worst week, on your worst day, God looks upon you and says, just as much as I love my little baby, even though they dirty their diapers, you say, but I love you so. I am who you say that I am. I am justified. That's who you are, church. Now, number two is sanctification, and that's a different thing. Sanctification is how are you doing? Verse 1 says, I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Grace is not sloppy. Even though our sin does not change God's opinion of us, as far as our identity, sin always hurts the heart of God. It's easy for us, as we've been Christians for a while, for us to say, well, everybody sins. Okay. Okay. That's kind of like saying, well, everybody cheats on their wife. It always hurts the heart of God. Sin always is an affront to God. Uh, Can you imagine right now if, uh, I wonder what Will would do if I snorted as much phlegm as I could get in my sinuses and came over here and got right in Jen's face and spit in her face. i want to see the real will. <laughs> That's an offense, isn't it? That's hurting somebody I love. Yeah, we all sin. But every sin is just like those people that spat on Jesus That day on Calvary when he hung from the cross, he said, prophesy, tell us who you think you are. And they spat upon him and they beat him and they punched him and they whipped him and they nailed his naked, whipped body to the cross. That is sin. That's what sin really is. And so we are justified and nothing will change that. But every time that we sin by not doing what we should or doing what we shouldn't, we should remember I'm hurting my God. I'm hurting the one who wept at Lazarus' tomb. The one who said, Lazarus, come out. The one who said, I love you. And so a lover wants to stop doing that. How? And here's a big problem. Here's a big fork in the road. Even as Christians, we will get and say, yay, I'm saved by the blood of the lamb. I'm saved by grace of what he did and not what I did. And now I want to start living a godly life, a holy life. And the Bible calls us, 1 Peter says, be holy for I am holy. God has high standards. You know, uh, you remember uh, John the Baptist's parents, Zacharias and Elizabeth? It said that they were righteous before the law. That's crazy talk. They're righteous. The Bible says, be holy, for I am holy. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. God wants our walk to change. God wants us, once we are saved, to start acting like it. And the problem that happens within Christianity is that think we can be saved by grace, but live according to works. And forget the cross. You say, Lord, I want to I pray better. I want to be a better dad. I want to I be a better employee. I want to be a better student. I want to I move forward as a Christian, Lord. I want to be a, a, a child that not only hears I am who you say, but I act like who I am. And we don't appeal to what David appealed to in Psalm 26. We don't appeal to mercy. Every single time that we want to move forward as a Christian and change our patterns of, our, our patterns of sin, we have to go right back to the very beginning. Uh, can I use a uh, Princess Bride uh, illustration again? As, <laughs> as you wish. Uh, he said, let me start. And he said, let me go back to the beginning. Let me explain. No, let me sum up. You're saved by grace, and you are sanctified by God's grace. You're saved by mercy, and you're sanctified by mercy. How do you live? How do you improve? How do you change patterns of sin? You say, oh God, I'm a sinner. At least I'm a saint that sins. You say I'm justified. You say you smile upon me. And you say you hate sin, and I just sinned. God, forgive me. Forgive me because I'm forgiven. It's Christianity. It's, it's, it's Christianity. Forgive me, because I'm forgiven. Categorically, you're clean. But specifically, we need a shower. We need to wash off. How do you do it? Don't do it with pride. Don't do it, think you can do it without Christ. Run to the cross and say, this is what I've done. Please forgive me. Please give me the strength to turn around my behavior. And help me worship out of this pattern of sin. And the good news is this. Some of us have been caught in patterns of sin for years and years and years. Some of us are living as brand new Christians and think, how do I change the legacy of this family? Here's the good news. You have the right, just like David, to say, vindicate me, God. I'm going to walk... In my integrity, I've trusted in the Lord without wavering. You can change. The good news of the gospel is not only that you're saved by grace, but by grace you can stop sinning. Not totally, but you can grow. You have an addiction, you can grow out of it by the power of the gospel, by the power of the resurrection. You have something that dogs you and plagues you. Hebrews called it a besetting sin, this constant dogging sin. We had an old dog growing up, an old, old sheep dog. We came home one day at night, and we had chickens. We lived on a farm, and there were like, tw- all, all the chickens were dead. And so all we saw as the, as the headlights crossed uh, across the yard were all these little fluffy white dead bodies out across our backyard. And a happy sheepdog. <laughs> and uh, we tried to teach that sheepdog to quit doing that. Of course, they ran out of chickens. We got more. But right away, the very next day, uh, dad took uh, a rope and uh, tied that dead chick- one of those dead chickens around the, around the sheepdog and just let it rot. Made that sheepdog just get disgusted with what it had done. That's a good theory. Sheepdog loved it, free food. And he just gnawed on the dead chicken whenever he wanted to. So anyway, um, our sin is like having a dead carcass tied to us saying, get off of me, this stinks. I'm so sick of this porn addiction. I'm so sick of this gossip addiction. I'm so sick of this legacy that i create. created. I'm so sick of the mess that I've made of my life. I want to change my legacy. Men. You can create a godly legacy for your wife and your children coming, children that are. I was blessed to be grown up in not a perfect family, but in a family of strong, godly men. We have stories of my grandfather back in the 1930s that loved grandma so much when they were dating. Uh, He was a truck driver in the 1930s and he drove his 1930-whatever truck across the Rockies with his mechanical brakes, across the desert, across the Sierra Nevadas, and into the valleys of California in the 1930s. And uh, we have all these stories of, of how hard Grandpa worked, and he wanted to be with Grandma so badly when they were dating, but he couldn't get off work. He had to go to California three times, and then he could have some time off. So he drove to California three times without sleeping, nonstop, so that he could have one day off to go to Kimball, Nebraska, and be with his girlfriend. Our grandpa worked hard. End of that story is he slept the entire time that he was there. (laughs) (laughs) When my grandpa passed away, he was 99 years old, and everybody gathered around, and, and you know how... Well, I won't go sideways, but uh, everyone's talking about the legacy that Grandpa had created. We call him the soft-spoken patriarch, and he had an influence over generations. Um, He owned three farms uh, in his lifetime. He had three farms at the same time at one point, but he gave away more money than any man I know. He grew up in the pioneer days and actually made money when he was in high school by picking up buffalo bones off of the prairie and putting them on a horse-drawn wagon and taking it into town so he could sell it for bone meal. He lived through the World War II era. He lived through the 50s and raid kids racing their 57 Chevys and 57 Fords. He had kids that were in the 70s with their long shag hair. Most of all, he loved Grandma. And he lived a godly life. One of the biggest uh, memories that I have of my grandpa, he's a hands-on guy, worked in the fields all of his life, one of the strongest men. He so uh, worked so hard that he started having major pain in his forearms, and he went in and got an x-ray at the doctor, and the doctor said, you bent your bones. That's what they said, doctors. Um... He carried weight so heavy on his shoulders, uh, sacks of a of, uh, of feed that when he, he had to carry him up a, a ladder that the rungs broke underneath of his feet. One of my best memories uh, is him reading the Book of Job. He loved the book of Job and he read the book of Job by his nightstand. And I believe he's talking to Job now. But most of all, he loved her grandma. I believe he's talking to her, too. Most of the time with family legacies, the the second generation feels like they didn't live up to the generation before them. But men, you can build that kind of legacy so that when you're 99 years old, your children may not even remember when you weren't walking with the Lord. Your children that remember when you weren't walking with the Lord totally forgive you and sing their praises to their God because of the faith and the forgiveness that you've modeled throughout your life. You can walk in holiness by the power of God's grace. And the only way you can be free from either condemnation or pride Is to say Lord have mercy upon me Lord redeem me every day Revisit your redemption every day Have grace upon me Otherwise when you get to the destination you're gonna be so proud of yourself. It's gonna be disgusting Or you're gonna take one step and fail and say well it all depends upon me. I'm a loser. I'm like David. I'm just a worm I'm just an idiot. You're so depressed. You're either going to be proud and miss the mark or depressed and miss the mark. But when you say, I am who you say that I am. And with this uh, Psalm, I'm going to say, vindicate me, Lord, for I've walked in my integrity. Now, specifically what's going on here in, in Psalm 26 is David is a king and he's being accused of things in his role as a king. And he's being called out and saying, listen, you're, you're dealing corruptly. You're colluding with bloodthirsty men. You're with hypocrites and, and evildoers. And there are times where you've walked and you've been accused of things that you did not do. Doesn't mean you're not a sinner, but you didn't do that of what you're being accused of. Have you been in those kind of relationships? Have you been in those kind of regimes where you say, I don't agree with what's going on. I wish I could just set the record straight. How do you have the power to have joy in any regime, in any relationship? How can you let it go? My daughter lives in Albuquerque, New Mexico. She was here last Sunday, and uh, they have a lot heavier lockdown when it comes to, uh, to the COVID quarantine. They just barely got out of lockdown um, um, at the beginning of the summer. And it was so severe that they they could get cited by the police for not wearing a mask outside. They even stationed stationed cops at the railheads because they have, like, uh, mountains and stuff, and you can go jogging and stuff. And they had police officers right there giving people citations if they didn't have a mask while they are running up and down the mountains. Uh, They wouldn't allow a certain number of people to go into Sam's Club. And there were people standing in line waiting to get food because they wouldn't allow a certain number of people to... to, uh, to go into the building. Small businesses is closing down like crazy. And uh, they're hearing that the governor is, uh, is and the governor is uh, like, uh, all the small businesses are closing, but uh, then there's social media pictures of the governor going into a nail salon that she had to open up just special for her so that she could get her nails done and, and then go back to the, to the Capitol building. Yeah. <laughs> Pictures of her uh, swimming on the beach in Hawaii, while the people in New Mexico are losing their businesses. And you want to cry out with David and say, "Vindicate me, God! This is not right. Justify this situation, God! Make this right. This is wrong. This regime, this government, is heavy-handed. It is wrong." And so she's driving back to New Mexico and just got in. When was it, Friday or Saturday? And And uh, she calls, and she just starts breaking down. She says the governor's locking the city back down. She starts crying. Can I get a little political right now? I'm a bit of a radical when it comes to politics, (coughs) in hopefully a good way. I'm a burnt-out radical. I grew up in a family of Holocaust deniers. I grew up radicalized when... Radicalization wasn't cool. And we've talked about how to deal with that as we're being tempted to be radicalized, either to the right or to the left right now, uh, by all sorts of, of media and, and influences. And I'm not going to tip my hat whether I'm left or right. Radicalization has no hope. That's my experience. Being radicalized does not give life. Can I s- kinda just tell you where, where I am? A little bit on specifics. Since 1973, the, the law Roe v. Wade has allowed unborn children, pregnancies to be terminated, it's called abortion. If you look at the fine, and I won't, get this, I won't be inappropriate in my language, if you, if you uh, look at the fine print of that document, it allows Uh, Those those procedures to take place up until the very day of the birth up until nine months up until the third trimester That's the law of our land It's been that way for 50 years and that that procedure as they've calculated has happened over 40 million times But there's very few clinics that will allow that late most most of them are happening in the first trimester There's very few clinics that will literally uh, go to the full extent of the law there's about a half a dozen in the United States one of them happens to be in Albuquerque. And so uh, women will fly in from all over the world, actually, to have that procedure done in that city. And I don't hear anybody talking about that. We actually had a citywide what do you call it, moratorium, not a moratorium, but they, we voted as a city of whether that should be allowed in that city, and it passed. See, we've been blaming the Supreme Court and all sorts of uh, uh, manipulation by, by people that, that want this agenda in our city while we lived there said, yes, we want this to continue in our city. Now the sad thing is a lot of people get radicalized and politi- politicized that are against this procedure of which I am and forget about the horrible pain of a lady that has that in their past. There is forgiveness of anything and everything. There is freedom in Christ for anything and everything. There is no difference categorically between gossip and abortion. Sin is forgiven by the blood of the cross. And so Christians should be just as loud about bringing those that are vulnerable into their homes and just as loud about standing up for those that have been in a place in their life where where 99.9% regret it horribly and say there is freedom and there's forgiveness for you and you're welcome to sit with us and be part of our family. It's like we say, the the well opens wide our arms to everyone. And I want to say to my daughter, I'm sorry that it's hard that you have to put a rubber band around your ears and a paper on your face, but can we have a little perspective? I think the reason that uh, not much is said about that clinic in that city is because it's not inconvenient to the population. It doesn't bug us at all. But having to go to Walmart with a mask on, well, that's a pain. It bogs up my glasses. See, I'm radical. I just think we have a little perspective. We're Christians called to serve the broken and the lost across all borders. We are called to go unto all the world. And so we can say, when the days get dark, that's when Christians shine. And we can say, how can I have the testimony of Jesus Christ and joy, even though I might not agree with the regime? So that's the furthest I'll go with that. Something to think about. I know this, it's the heart of the elders of this church, the leadership of this church, and I know it's the heart of every one of you, that you want this church to be as welcoming and open and freeing to every, both sides of the aisle or anywhere else. That we want a, a Canadian and a Mexican and American to feel just as welcome here. There's countries that lean capitalists, and there's countries that lean socialists, socialist, and everyone is welcome because guess what? Our identity is not in our country. It is so far down. My identity is not in my last name. My identity is not in my family legacy. My identity is not in this country. Yeah, I'm an American. I'm very thankful for the blood that's been shed for our freedom. Very thankful for that. But it was all tainted by sin. And there is blood that was shed for me that wasn't tainted by sin. And there is a message that can change hearts and nothing else does. And so yes, have your left or your right opinions about politics but keep them down here and know this that you have a message that will transform any heart in any situation and can we beat that drum can we be excited about that message that you can be set free from anything freedom you know the movie with Mel Gibson in it where it ends with freedom and all the Americans go yeah but he's Irish I don't get it or he's Scottish and you're like ah freedom freedom there's something better than political freedom There's being set free from guilt, set free from shame, set free from a dead life of being a Pharisee, going to church that has no meaning to it, saying, what am I doing here? Checking off the boxes and playing church. Wondering why everybody else is so into confessing sin. I I haven't had a bad week. I've been pretty good. Oh, that's sin. (laughs) Look in the mirror, brother. Look in the mirror, Pharisee. You can be set free from a meaningless life of playing church and get into the real church and see lives and hearts set free. You can be sanctified. All right. I'll skip over some of this stuff here and go down to number three. Joyification. So how do you feel? So sanctification is hard, 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 hard. Goes against every fiber of the flesh that still hangs in us. But how can we enjoy this process? Joyification, how do you feel? Verse seven, 6 and 7 says, I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. The, the, uh, the, the psalm ends with this My foot stands on level ground, and in the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. You're just. You've been wrestling with patterns of sin, and you've felt freedom. Now talk about it. Express it. Get together and worship your God. He says, I'm standing on level ground, and I will try my... I will bless the Lord. You have the power to bless your God. You have the power. He says, I I like this. He says, I wash my hands in innocence, and I go around your altar, O Lord proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. Uh, this is not an altar, but uh, can you just see him just saying, I just go all around the altar saying, God is good. I'm justified. God is good. I have the power of sanctification. God is good. I'm going to joyify. I'm going to proclaim. I'm going to be happy with who he says that I am and praise him for the progress and the growth that I see in my life and the legacy that I'm starting. And he also says this, he says, this is what I have been doing, but he finished the song by saying this, I shall walk in my integrity. You have the confidence to look into your future and say, I'm going to create a godly legacy. I'm going to walk away from the pattern of sin. I'm going to move forward and get this dead chicken off my neck, and I'm going to be free. Freedom! Categorically free. Literally free. Experientially free. How? You have joy in any regime. In any relationship, you've been in a relationship where somebody says something about you that hurts your feelings? And then the church said, Yes, always. I could probably name, I'm thinking of two people right now, probably get up to ten right now that I'm going, My flesh, my flesh says, I would just love to get face-to-face with that person and say you took me out of context what you said about me was not true I didn't do that that's not what I meant you've been in those kind of relationships I didn't say that I said that but that's not what I meant how do you like Karma, like I said last time how do you close that book how do you close that book how do you put that in the past how you let that go first of all say this i don't deserve to be vindicated by that person give it to god see david doesn't say i'll pick some random name is there a john in the room i will use john vindicate me john you ever try to say talk to yourself and say vindicate me donnie You're wrestling around in your heart saying it's just not right what they did to me is just not right what my wife did what my husband did it's just not right how do you have the power of the gospel to let that go close the book and move forward you start with the first step of the gospel what do you deserve do you deserve for people to always speak well of you and the church said no do you deserve to always be put in context? No. What do you deserve? You deserve nothing. And we can go beyond that and say we actually deserve punishment. if we, we, we sin. We spit in his face. So I don't deserve people in my life to treat me the way I think I should be treated, treat me justly. That's between them and God. David says, vindicate me, O." Oh God. Lord take your need for justice to God and say God I may never be able to set the record straight if you have opportunity to do that Wonderful, but so many times you won't and things in your past will pull you down saying it's not fair what they did to me It's not fair what happened to me there And if I could just get a chance to set the record straight and guess who gets hurt we do Stooling over our past saying "Ah, it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. And I never heard that word in the gospel That I deserve something And when you say i've sinned I don't deserve respect. I don't deserve to be followed. I don't deserve anything Actually, my sin says condemnation And for some crazy reason, the police officer of the universe came up and said, you owe nothing. As a matter of fact, I'll give you a treasure chest full of diamonds. We can close the book if someone else disrespects us then, can't we? That's their problem. The king of the universe just poured his grace upon me. Then I have the power to turn around. I can say, forget it. God loves me. He really loves me. He loves me enough to say, this is who you are. You can leave patterns of sin. Now walk around the altar praising me in the assembly. Get together with God's people. It's hard to do it alone. We're not made to be lone wolves. Get together with other people and say, God been good to you. Oh yeah, he's been great to me. God been good to you. Oh yeah, he's been great to me. Well, let's talk about it together. That's why we gather together as sheep, not lone wolves, and say in unison, our God vindicates us. Because when he looks down upon you, he says, clean. We know David's life. Guilty of murder, guilty of adultery, ended his life not well. And you go to the New Testament and he says, a man after God's own heart. That's good news. That's good news. How do we have joy in any regime, in any relationship? Number one, conclusion. Tell yourself who God says that you are. Tell yourself. Preach to yourself. The word has power. Remind yourself, I am who God says that I am. Number two, obey God's calling based upon, uh, obey God calling on his love, calling on his mercy, and calling on his grace. We're so tempted to, to try to earn our way. No. As you move forward, getting out of patterns of sin and setting a new legacy for your life, keep calling on his mercy, keep calling on his love, keep calling on his grace. And finally, if you want to really clinch it, if you really want to have real joyification, open your mouth and declare what's happened in your heart verbally with others, saying, God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for my new life. Thank you for my new day. Thank you for my new beginning. Thank you for giving me power to close the book and move forward. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. My foot stands on level ground, and in the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. Shall we do that right now together, literally? All right. Well, let's shift and transition into communion. This is one of the best ways to bless the Lord. When we take communion, it's speaking the gospel, it's going through the motions of the gospel. I have this sheet that says, we have three stations right up here. If you want prayer, you can come up and, if you're a lady and wanna pray with a lady, you can do that in, the, in whichever station. If you wanna pray with a, with a guy, he'd love to do that. Uh, if you'd rather pray to yourself, uh, you can come up here and just say, I'd rather pray to myself today. Or you can go to the back station. Communion is a meal that we share together every week to remember the broken body and shed blood of Jesus at the cross. This meal is intended for Christians. So if you don't consider yourself to be a Christian yet, then before you take communion, we invite you to receive the gospel right now. You can come up to a server. You can tell us you want to be a Christian. We'll pray with you as you receive Christ. And today, you can commune with Jesus for the very first time as a new believer. Let's pray. Dear Father, I ask you to help me pray right now. (coughs) And so, Lord, I know that your heart is um, interested in every single individual in this room. You love us by name. You came to earth and you took on humanity. We call you Jesus, this amazing God, man, Son of God. You had a friend. His name was Lazarus. When he passed away, you wept. You know her name. When things are down, you weep. When things are up, you. you says you're your touched with the feeling of our weaknesses and our sicknesses. You're not a distant force. You're not an angry judge. You do have wrath on sin, but your heart calls us out of that to align our hearts with your purpose and align our lives with your plans. As we take this communion, we we think of this bread. As representing your body, both your body as you lived in perfection and your body as you were whipped and stripped and, and killed, as a perfect sacrifice for us. And as the blood flowed, we drink the juice representing your perfect blood. So, Lord, as we declare our belief in who you are and what you've done. We want to be sanctified. We want to grow. We want to create a new beginning. Only way that we can escape being either proud of ourselves or beat ourselves up is to know the work's been done. You've already obeyed for us. You've already created a legacy for us. And we step in by faith. And we receive a new identity, a new boldness, a new courage, an ability to to proclaim God is working in me. I'm walking in integrity now. Yes, we fail. But the righteousness of Jesus Christ is put upon us, and we're growing, we're changing, and we're moving forward, and we're blessing others in Your name. So, Lord, by this act and by this music and by this time, we uh, we together say, in the great assembly, we we bless Your name. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.